Lord, as we open up your word today, I pray that you open up our hearts, that we can receive it. Because apart from your Holy Spirit inside of us, we are hopeless to understand the things of your word, the things that are of the spirit and the spiritual realm. Lord, we do not want to just have an intellectual time here of learning new things uh, so that we can be better at trivial pursuit or something. We want to draw closer to you. And we do want to be here for you if it's for your name. And so we ask that you bless this time and uh, keep us attentive and keep our minds focused on you today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So as I uh, started to contemplate what I might share with you today, what God had for me, I don't know if you guys realize this, but when uh, I get a chance to teach, it's what God teaches me, and then you guys just get to hear what God has already taught me. It has nothing to do with you specifically. It's all about me, you know. But, uh, you know, and I started praying, God, what do you, what do you want to show me? Uh, two things were happening. One is we just started a study on Daniel on Tuesday nights. And one of the things I love about Daniel is he not only is one of those guys in the Old Testament where we don't have a single thing in his life accounted that he did wrong. Now, it's not to say he didn't do anything wrong. All men, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He wasn't sinless. But we don't have anything recorded. And he's an amazing character. Even his the people like Ezekiel, who was living at the same time as him, when he was writing, he put Daniel along with Job and uh, Noah. And like that, that's where his, you know, people thought of him and his character. And throughout his entire life, from the beginning when he was very young, all the way to we see as very old, he followed hard after God. Very rare that we see that in Scripture, especially in the Old Testament. And as we've been studying through the book of Acts, we've been studying a, recently a man by the name of Paul. And Paul is one of those guys who was on fire for God once he got knocked off his high horse. And we see as we're going through the book of Acts with Pastor Ben during the uh, weeks that Paul not only begins well, but he also finishes well. And as I was looking at these and kind of comparing them, I thought, God, I want to finish well. I've been a Christian since I've been 12 at a Christian camp. And I see things happen. I says, I want to finish well. I don't want to be like so many people in the Old Testament and the New Testament that started off well and ended poorly. Ended poorly. So many people, good, good people. You know, Saul the king. And, you know, you see even guys like, uh, you know, Moses had some issues there towards the end and some things with Noah. You go through the, the account, so many people had issues. And I see a pattern, and I want to share some of those things with you today. If you want to finish well, too, like me, what are some things that we can do? And what are some things that are in common? You may have heard it said just in life in general, as we go through our life, as we're from a young baby all the way until we're an old person, they say that there's seven different phases that we go through. Perhaps you've heard this before, but the seven phases. We first go through spills. And then we go through drills. And then we go through thrills. And then we go through bills. And then we go through ills. And then we go through pills. And then we go through wills. And I don't know where you are in that uh, sequence. Uh, I feel much definitely in the ills, pills sections of those things. Uh, but isn't that true? You know, when we're a little baby and you're just trying to keep the sippy cup up and then, and then we're going through school and learning all these things and then, and then everything's thrilling. I love to watch my six-year-old son. Everything is exciting. 
Just the simplest things are so exciting for him. And I get to kind of relive that and, and see that and, and get to uh, just experience those. But eventually, we all come to a point, don't we? We're like, what is this all about? And I want to start off by just talking about someone who went through that. Of course, his name is Solomon. And he didn't finish well, did he? Maybe, perhaps, there's some inkling that he might have done well towards the end. If we turn just past Psalms and Proverbs to a little book called Ecclesiastes, he writes this towards the end of his life. He had everything, absolutely everything, wisdom, knowledge, money, too many women, horses, everything, everything you can imagine someone could desire. And at the end of the life, he, he writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, he says, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. That's his way of saying it, Solomon there. Vanity of vanities, or emptiness of emptiness, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit has a man from all his labor, in which he toils under the sun? One generation passes away, and another generation comes. But the earth abides forever. The sun also rises, the sun goes down. It hastens to the place where it arose. The wind goes towards the south and turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place from which the rivers came, there they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. And you might argue that there's, you know, the Apple i18 phone or whatever, you know. Isn't that funny? You, you get the, I don't know what number people are on anymore. What is it, i7, 810? They may even know anymore. It used to be a big deal. It's nothing new under the sun, even when there is something that we think is new. He says, there's nothing new under the sun. Verse 10 says, is there anything which might be said, see, this is new? It has already been in ancient times before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come by those who will come after. Wow, you came for an encouraging sermon. I tell you, here we go. (laughs) Vanity, it's all emptiness. But we all in our life, and it depends on where you are in life, you might see it differently. You get to a point, and some people go through what's called a midlife crisis, right? And it's like, what is the purpose of all of this? What is the meaning of life? And Christians and non-Christians go through it in similar ways. Non-Christians go through it with zero answers. Do you understand that? They, go, they have no answer. They just go on and say, okay, I guess I'll live for the next thrill or whatever. I'll, I'll try to come up with some reason to live. Suicide is rampant because people lose heart about what this life is about. And then he goes on in Ecclesiastes and he talks about even wisdom is grief and, and even pleasure. And he goes in chapter 2 about pleasure. And then he talks about some of the good things that come from that and how everything has a time and you can't stop it. And, and you know, injustice keeps going in the world. And then he goes on and just talks about uh, you work and work and work and you work for yourself and you never get ahead and all these things. And there's vanity and gain and honor. There's vanity and, and stuff and and possessions, and he goes, and then if you keep going all the way to the end of Ecclesiastes, he tells us something in chapter 12 there. 
verse 9 of chapter 12, he says, And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find acceptable words, and what was written was upright. Words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. And further, my son, be admonished by those. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is a wearisome to the flesh. That was my life verse when I was going to university. Uh, my, uh, you know, study is wearisome to the flesh. Verse 13 says, let us hear the conclusion. He's like, you know, all the study, but let me just tell you what it is, the conclusion. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. He says, all, all these books I've written, all the Proverbs, really, it's about keeping God's commandments, doing what God says. Because he realized at the end of his life that in vanity and vanity, but all things were made by him and for him. Of course, we read in Colossians, but he kind of got this. He realized that our purpose, the reason we exist is because God made us for his good pleasure. And he's like, just follow after God and do what he says, follow his commandments. If you flip over, if you ever done a Bible drill, you know, when I was growing up, I had to do Bible drills. Flip to Hebrews. Flip over to Hebrews. Turn over to the right. First and Second Corinthians, Galatians. All the way over. If you get to James, you've gone too far. And of course, Hebrews chapter eleven is called the the Hall of Faith. Uh, as the author of Hebrews, I believe it was Paul, but it can't be certain. I believe it was Paul, but he didn't title it with his name because he wasn't real popular with the Hebrew people. But he, uh, you know, the chapter 11 talks about all these incredible people. Most of them did not finish well, but he talks about them. And then in chapter 12, after talking about all these people that have gone before us, he says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded so by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So the author of the Hebrews talks about this idea of endurance. And when I think about life, and as we go through all of these different layers of life, and we think of what the purpose of life, let me propose to you that we also have a similar pattern in our spiritual walk, right? When we come to know Jesus Christ, and we accept him, when we say, I understand, I am a sinner, and I have no hope of getting to heaven, I am, you know, separated from God, but I trust that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. I accept that. I ask him into my heart. I repent for my sin. I turn away. I'm going God's way instead of my way, and I want to follow Jesus. And we become a Christian. We become a believer of Jesus. We have a lot of spills in our life, don't we? We mess up a lot. <laughs> we say stupid things. We go and tell our friends, and, and we, we, don't, we don't know what we're doing, right? And then we go through the drills, don't we? And we're studying, and it's a beautiful time as we're trying to learn the Bible, and we're trying to understand, well, what about, you know, and, and how about, and we have so many questions, and we're digging in, and we're learning these kind of things. And it's a thrilling time, typically, in our life as we're a new Christian, and we enjoy those kind of things. 
But eventually, we get to the, the bills, ills, and, and so forth in our Christian walk as well. And I see so many Christians going through the motions. They're older in Christ. They've been a Christian for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. And they're just, oh, vanity and vanity. And they follow the same patterns we do in our physical realm that they do in, in the spiritual realm. And when I look at Daniel and I look at Paul, I see a pattern in what they do that really rejuvenates their spiritual walk and keeps them strong until the end. Now, Paul, when he was going through, and we have most of his life accounted for in the book of Acts as we're studying over the weekend, he, as we're studying right now, is in prison, and then he's going to eventually stand before Nero, and then he gets released, and then he does another missionary journey, which we don't have in the book of Acts. Most think he went through Spain and some of those areas. He comes back to Rome. He's imprisoned this time, not in a nice uh, house arrest. He's in a dungeon because Nero is now flipped off. You know, uh, Caesar Nero has gone crazy and just hates Christians. And so now he's going to kill Paul. He's in a dungeon. And in this moment, just days probably before he's going to be executed, he pins a letter. And it's the last letter he wrote. And it was to a young man named Timothy. And we get a good hint of what was going on in Paul's mind as he finished his life well. So if we go to 2 Timothy, which is where our text will be today. That was just the intro. (laughs) Oh, no. So if we look at 2 Timothy, I think we get some great hints as to what was going through Paul's mind at the end of his life that kept him strong. Now, as we study the book of Timothy, it's often called a a book to pastors. And it it is. I mean, Timothy was a pastor, and there's many good principles in 1 and 2 Timothy to pastors. But it was just simply, as we see there in verse 1 and 2, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son. So it's not necessarily written just to a pastor. It was written to a son, a son in the spirit, a son in faith. It's likely that Paul led Timothy to Christ. And as we study through this, and we're just going to go through this book at a high level and look for certain things that pop out on us that show us what Paul was going through, it's really good to, to see what Paul is teaching us but I want us to look at it from a perspective of what Paul was going through as he was teaching. Because that is what kept Paul going, is he desired to pour into the next generation. And I believe, as we see Daniel do the same thing, see, I'm right on a good point, because Satan is like, do not say this. Thank you that you are the God who controls everything. And Lord, we don't know uh, what's happened there. Uh, We're just thankful that there wasn't a real fire. And we're just pray. We're thankful that we have uh, the fire brigade come to help when needed. And and Lord, we just uh, thank you for this time that we're here. And and Lord, I pray that we can have our hearts requieted and uh, focused again, because your word is so important. And whether this was something that uh, just the enemy trying to distract us or whether this is just uh, something that you allowed to happen for some other reason, we don't know. But we know that your word is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, and it will 
cut to our hearts. And so we open up our hearts again today, and I pray that you honor this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So as I was saying, before I was rudely interrupted, when we see Paul in his, his last part of his life, his last thought was not, poor me, I'm in prison, I'm about to die. It was, I want to send a letter to Timothy, my son, to this guy I've been watching and mentoring and, and helping. And, and his idea was to pour into the next generation. And for, for us that have been Christians for a longer period of time, and please keep this straight. I'm not talking about, hey, let's, let's next week all be in the kids' department and the youth department. I'm not talking about physical age. I'm talking about spiritual age, that pouring into those who are less mature than you. And you say, well, how do I know if someone's less mature than I am? Well, if you begin a conversation, I love doing this, and now it's going to sound contrived if you guys do this during tea time. But just in a few weeks, it won't feel so bad. And, and you start to talk to somebody about footy or whatever. You're, and then you say, so tell me, have you been in the Word this week? Tell me something good you found in your readings. Now, if, if you think, oh, that's going to make him feel bad if they didn't, it won't. They'll be like, oh, you know, I, I really haven't this week. Or I have, but nothing really stood out. That's fine. They might say that. Or they might say, you know, I was reading through the book of John. And, I, and, and they'll explain something to you. You say, wow, okay, they're, they're teaching me. <laughs> That's great. And then you can pour it in, because that gives you a golden opportunity, right? You say, oh, yeah, let me share what I, what I learned. And it's a great time to just have a conversation about God, just saying, what did God show you today? Because God wants to show us in our quiet time something. And if we're reading and we're in the Word and we get it, we're like, yeah, God, thank you. But God doesn't want us just to hold on to it. He doesn't want us to just go through the, the drills and the thrills of being a Christian. He wants us to share. We don't want to be like the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea has water going in, but nothing going out. And it becomes stagnant and dead. You want to be like the Sea of Galilee, where water comes in and water goes out. We receive, but we give. And that, in Scripture, I see over and over again, a key to endurance and stopping what I call the, the spiritual entropy, which says that it just decays over time. As you get older in your Christian walk, you just allow it to just decay. No, you pour in, you allow yourself to share with others. And that's the heart of Paul to Timothy. So as we're going through some of these verses, and I'll try to go quickly, uh, just going through these things, help us to not only see what he's teaching Timothy and teaching us, but help us to see what Paul is doing as what we might do to someone else. Let's look at that perspective so that we do not become stale and stagnant in our walk. Let us be more like Paul as we're looking at this. And the first thing that we see is there in verse 3. He says, I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did. And without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers. We see Paul have a compassion towards someone who is younger in the faith, and he prays for them. Pray for them. When God lays somebody on your heart that you can be a Paul to, that you can begin to pour into, the first thing you have to do is pray for them. Pray for them and pray for them and keep praying for them because that's the first thing that we see Paul does. And he talks a little bit about what he prays about there. And then in verse 6, he says, Therefore, I remind you, so that's the second thing, is when you have a, a, a younger person in Christ, 
and you're praying for them, remind them. Remind them of how important it is for them to grow in Christ. Look what he says he reminds them of. Reminds you, Timothy, to stir up your gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So the first thing he does is he prays. The second thing he does is he reminds. He is with that person that he is mentoring, and he is reminding them that they have gifts, spiritual gifts. And you remind them and exercise those things. I want you to know that you have spiritual gifts, and you have been given a great gift of God. And don't be fearful. This is a great verse for kids just generally, but for young people who are in the faith to know that God doesn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power. God has given you the power to do things, and he wants you to use it, and of love and a sound mind. So you should be reminding that generation, that person that we're pouring into. And then in verse 8, he begins a section here where he begins to exhort Timothy. He says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel, according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. That was all one sentence, so I figured I should read it. He exhorts him. So he not only prays for him and reminds him that he's been given gifts of the Spirit, he exhorts him to not be ashamed of the gospel and the power of the gospel. And he encourages him. And he says, you're going to suffer as he continues on there. And then look at verse 13. He says, hold fast the pattern of the sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. So then he tells him to endure. He also tells him to endure by being in sound doctrine, being in the word. He points him to the word. So the same thing. We pray for somebody. We have. And by the way, the best way to find a Timothy in your life is when you share the gospel with somebody and they accept the Lord. I pray that everyone here has had that beautiful opportunity. I mean, I know that some sow the seed and some harvest Boy, there's just something special when you are talking to somebody and it's just, you're, you're trying to explain it to them and they're like, I, I don't get it or ah, just don't tell me about this Jesus thing anymore. And then something happens and the Holy Spirit opens up their eyes and makes them realize, and, and I've seen this happen, and you're just talking to them and, and you know it's the Spirit because you've been saying the same thing over and over again and all of a sudden they, they get it. And a light bulb goes on, and they're like, yeah, I want to receive Christ. And you're like, really? <laughs> and you're like shocked. <laughs> and then you get a chance to, to just share with them how to accept Christ and what that means, and then they get excited, don't they? That is the best Timothy you have, is somebody that you personally led to the Lord, and you can pour into, and you have a really good excuse to follow up on them and to disciple them. Oftentimes we, you know, oh, I'll, I'll bring them to church, and they'll get saved, and then somebody else will disciple them, and someone else will save them. And somebody. It's, it's you guys. 
you guys are the ones who go into the field and you are the witnesses. You are witnesses to those around you and then you're sharing the gospel and then people are, are saved and then you're the disciplers as well. Yes, we gather together to equip the saints to be disciplers and to be disciples. So we should be pouring into that, but that's the best person. As he says, hold fast, verse 13 there, to these things and, and the love which are in Christ Jesus, that good, verse 14 tells us, good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. So read the word, keep the word, memorize the word, use the word, so point him to this. When you are pouring into someone else, another generation, don't tell them what you think. Well, I think you should do. Point him to the word. Teach him to learn the word. Make them less dependent on you. He is pointing Timothy. He's like, I'm not going to be here much longer. You need to be in the word. And you're not going to be here for that person all the time. So point him to the word. Help him to be self-sufficient. And then he goes on and finishes that chapter, giving some examples of people who did not. And then in chapter 2, Number five, we see, you therefore, my son, be strong. And in this section, he begins to encourage Timothy. He not only prays for him, and he not only reminds him and exhorts him and tells him to endure, he encourages him. He says, be strong in the grace. I love that. (laughs) Strong in the grace. That means, you know, giving without merit, right? That, That is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to, watch this, teach others also. And when we see this, and we see this really strongly in this, this chapter, Paul says, I am going to teach you, I'm going to pour into you as a next generation, and not only teach you to be a stronger Christian and, and encourage you and pray for you, I'm going to teach you to be a teacher. We often forget that because then it kind of dies out a generation after that. He's not only pouring into Timothy, he's encouraging Timothy to pour into others. He's saying, here's the secret to a a strong walk with God that you can be excited about your spirituality all of your life, pour into others. And I think I'm kind of in a unique situation here. I'm, I'm not quite Abraham old when I had my son, but I'm kind of... Uh, uh, Elizabeth and, uh, and uh, Zechariah, well, kind of old. And so I had my son when, on our 22nd wedding anniversary, right? So he's, he's only six years old. But what has happened? I mean, I'm supposed to be in the later. I am just enjoying so much seeing things for the first time again. Why? Because I'm, I'm seeing my son experience things, and now suddenly, you know, building blocks and Lincoln Logs are fun again, right, and, and Legos. And, and I wouldn't experience that if I didn't have him at that age. So I would encourage you all to have kids at a later age. It's fine. No, it's, just, it's amazing to see that, but in the spiritual realm, too, as we pour into others and we see them get excited, and they say, did you know, and they go get all excited, they say, did you know that we're we're saved by grace. It's not by works. I'm like, really? Wow, where'd you find that? Oh, I was reading through, you know. Oh, it's so beautiful as, as, you, as you see the verses for the first time again through somebody else's eyes. And it just sparks a newness in me as we're walking this spiritual walk. So not only does he pour into him and say, encourages him, be strong, Timothy, be strong, but also teach and teach others. In verse 3, it tells us there in chapter 2, therefore, 
You must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And this echoes what we read in Hebrews chapter 12 about laying aside all these things. So as we're encouraging them, tell them, don't get tangled up in this world and the things of this world. Verse 5 says, also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must first uh, he uh, must be first to partake of the crop. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. And then he goes on there in, in verse 8 and reminds him again to remember. He just is doing these again. And then in verse 10, he talks about endurance again, going over these same things. So he's praying for him. He's, he's reminding him. And then down in verse 14, he not only says, remind, he's reminding Timothy, he tells Timothy to remind others of these same things and charge them before the Lord, not to strive about words with no profit, 14 continues on, to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. He is telling Timothy to be in the word and be in context and use it wisely, use it properly. Don't use something out of the book of Job to talk about, you know, some doctrinal issue. There's parts of the scripture you should use properly. And not only that, he says, verse 16, instead, other people, he said, I want you to be rightly dividing the word of truth, being in the word of truth, teaching the word of truth. But we'll look at the opposite, verse 16. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. And he gives some examples of these people. He says, don't be babbling about stuff. You guys ever been on the Internet? Babbling about stuff. You know, you get on forums and people are, I have not yet once seen a time where I, I get on a forum and I start making my case and somebody says, oh, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I get it. Yeah, you're right and I'm wrong. <laughs> yes, there's times when you can dialogue with people who are really trying to understand. But it's just this babbling that goes on. It just yeah, fighting and bickering. He says, no, teach the word. Be, uh, be one who rightly divides it and teaches it correctly. And then I'm going to jump down a little bit to verse 24 there in this chapter. And he says, and a servant of the Lord must not quarrel because he's talking about giving advice to Timothy and what we would give advice to a younger Christian. He says, I want you to be a servant, a servant. Now, again, we sometimes think this is a book to just pastors, but we're all to be servants to one another. That's what Jesus said when he washed their disciples' feet. He said, see what I did? Do the same as a lowly servant washing feet. He says, I want you to be a servant of the Lord and don't quarrel but be gentle to all, able to teach. Now, again, I think we think oftentimes, well, the teachers are the people who are the pastors or teachers. We're all called to teach. Teach whatever God tells us we share. And we don't have to, you know, oh, God, we don't have to become an orator to teach. I mean, we all teach kids that are coming around. You know, if a kid's run across the street, you say, stop. And you teach the kid immediately, even if he's not your own kid. Don't go on the street. We teach people what we know, and if we are in the Word, we teach. So Timothy is encouraged to teach. 
Let me encourage you to be teachers, and you encourage others to be teachers. And he says to be a servant, being patient, teaching, and then verse 25, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. So he talks to Timothy and he tells him to be a teacher. That's the sixth thing, to be a teacher. And you, if you're able to mentor someone else, encourage them to teach. Now, I always thought those who did, did. And those who couldn't, teach. And those who couldn't teach, managed. (laughs) That's what I was told But I've done a lot of teaching in the secular world as well as teaching. And you know what happens when you have to teach something? You've got to learn it. You've got to really learn it because you get asked the questions, right? When you're telling somebody, oh, yeah, da, 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 and they say, well, what about, you know, oh, uh, and you've got to go back, right, and, and study it. So being a teacher and encouraging a, a younger generation to be teachers makes us stronger, stronger. And then out of the blue, we would think, but Paul's on a, on a roll here, in chapter 3, Paul begins to go into prophecy. He says, know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. He begins to go into some prophecy. He says, know that in the end time some things will happen. Now, I, I don't know what was going on. I mean, Nero was pretty bad and all that, but boy, doesn't this ring true today? One of the things that we notice from Daniel, we think of Daniel as a prophet, right? But Daniel was not only a prophet, he was one who studied prophecy. He was the one who was crying out as he reads Jeremiah's prophecies and realizes that the reason that they're in Babylon is because of the 70 years issue and they didn't keep the the commandments and so forth as a punishment for that. He was into understanding prophecy. Now, people can take it over the edge, right? You've got people that that's all they talk about or study. But let me encourage you as a student of the word They say about a quarter of the Bible, maybe even a third of the Bible is prophecy. Much of it has happened, but much of it still hasn't happened. And to be understanding that. Why? Because John tells us in his his writings that when we believe that Jesus could come back at any moment, it purifies us. And so when we do that or we encourage another who is less in the word, say, you know, Jesus could come back today. Right now. Right now. You know, I do that occasionally. And not once has it happened. <laughs> now it would be, I know, people laugh at me like, uh-huh, yeah, you said now and it didn't happen now. But if it ever did, I'd be laughing for eternity, right? I'd be like, ha-ha. Well, that guarantee is because of pride. It definitely won't happen. It definitely won't happen when I say now. Um, but when we believe that Jesus could come back now, the effect, and as we understand prophecy and we see all these things happening in the world, Jesus is coming soon. 
It purifies us. So we encourage you to be a student of prophecy, understand the end times, and to encourage others as they're learning the word and not to be fooled by all the weirdness that's out there. There's, Satan has these tactics. He loves to just, if you want to learn a little bit, he'll just flood you with all this extra information to make it confusing. Keep it simple, saint, as they say. So he goes into prophecy there in chapter 3. And then in verse 10 of chapter 3, he says, But you have carefully followed what? My doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Number eight here, after number seven of prophecy, is to be an example. That's hard. It's easy to teach people, tell them what to do. But Paul says, look to me as an example of a Christian walk. Can I say that to a younger Christian? I can tell them what to do, but can I tell them and watch me as what I do? That's a tough one. But that is a challenge to me to walk and keep walking until the end. Endurance. Because I don't want to stumble these kids in the faith that are watching me. I don't want that. That would break my heart for them to see me stumble and do something that would cause them to stumble. He says, watch me. So if we want to pour into others and another generation, we have to be an example. And in verse 12, when he talks about, he says, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Do you suffer persecution? Oh, yeah. Oh, you know, I had a flat tire the other day. Oh, the persecutions. <laughs> no, this is not what it's talking about. It's talking about people getting mad at you because of your stand for Jesus Christ. People not liking you because of your stand for Jesus Christ. Not because you're weird. Not because you stand up and you're working and they don't like you because of it. No, not being weird. Just being godly. Being holy. Not participating. People are going to not like you and you're going to be persecuted for those things. If you're not being persecuted, and this is challenging for me as I go through times, right? It says, hmm, I wonder, am I desiring <laughs> to live godly? Or do I just fit in so well nobody even notices? Do I stand out? So he says, Timothy, watch me. Live godly and know you're going to suffer persecution like I have. You've seen it in my life. Expect it. So we should warn that next generation. And then in chapter 4, he talks about, again, pointing them to the word. He says, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For a time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they'll heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And I would say to you, that is for all of us. For us to say, preach the word. We're all preachers. We're all little preachers that we're able to share with those around us. We are to convince people. We're to rebuke people. We're to exhort people and do these things with long-suffering. I don't like that word. I really don't like that word because I am short-suffering and teaching because you're going to find people 
don't want to hear or they're going to heap up for themselves stacks of things on the Internet that they can watch that are just saying what they want to hear. And then the last thing that I want to point out is in verse uh, 6 of chapter 4. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on the day and do and not to me only, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. So the last thing that Paul does when he's pouring into Timothy and saying, look, I've, I've, I've done my race. I want you to have a good race too. He gives him the motivation. Because we can talk to people and say, oh, you know, you should do this and you should do that and you... You know, endure and be strong and teach and be in the word and da 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 And they're like, oh, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do as a Christian. You know? The motivation that Paul talks about. Why should I be in the word? Why should I care about my spiritual well-being? Why, why, why? He says, because there's going to be a day where you're going to stand before Jesus and give an account. And, and, and not the judgment seat, but the bema seat where we're judged on the things that we do. And we, we might get a pile and we say, well, I went to church every Sunday and I did this and this and this pile up. And then it's going to be tested with fire and burned. And, oh, what's left? Oh, little tiny you know, piece. And we give that to Jesus and say, thank you. I think we'll be a bit surprised. All the things we think are really special that we've done will just burn away because of our motivations or the reasoning. But the things maybe we hadn't even thought about What's that, what's that crown for? Oh, remember when you prayed for that person? There's a crown there for you. It's, it's that motivation that the reason we do these things is because we see Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And it's a motivation of love. We realize, I was going to hell for eternity. And Jesus has done this for me. And, and he saved me. He's opened my eyes. It was foolishness to me before. And suddenly I could see, and, and it's clear. And have you ever noticed that? A new Christian can't believe that nobody else can see, right? They were blind for a long time, and then suddenly they can see, they accept Christ, and they go to their friends and family, and they're like, why, why can't they see? Because their eyes need to be opened by the Holy Spirit to pray for them and to understand, oh, thank you, Lord, for opening my eyes and saving me. And that's got to be the motivation or it will never last. If the motivation is just to please me or please you, if you're pouring into somebody else, it won't last. So they have to remind them the reason we do these is out of a, a, a response to the love and the touch of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask us to pray. I'm going to ask the musicians to stay seated for just a minute. Trying to be respectful of time at the same time, share the things that I believe God wants me to share. But right now, I just want to take a moment and everybody that's here, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to put someone, someone's name on your heart. Someone who is either a non-believer that maybe you need to spend some time sharing and, and opening their eyes, or maybe someone who is a believer that you need to pour into and be a Paul to that Timothy. So Lord, I ask you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, give us a name. 
each one individually as I just spend a bit of time in quietness as we can allow you to do your work. Pray that God has given you someone, a name. Because wherever you are in your walk with Christ, we need to be pouring into others. Lord, I pray for each one who's here today. Help us not to be those who walk our spiritual life and just go through the motions and eventually end up in just entropy, spiritual entropy of just dying out and being useless. But help us to be useful for your kingdom. And one of the things we see clearly in your word is to pouring into others. And so whatever name you gave, Lord, I pray for that person to receive as well as for the person here that is challenged to pour more into that person and their spiritual walk, Lord. Give them the strength and the power to do so. And ask the musicians to come forward as we'll begin to get ready for communion.